Well, good morning. It's really great to see each and every one of you. That means that you did not get trapped in your home. Um, you know, I was feeling pretty cocky uh, yesterday morning when, you know, you see that we didn't get this big storm that they were saying, and then it just kept snowing all day long. Um, but thank you, Lord, that, that uh, the sun is out. And the pavement is, uh, is getting melted, so I, I love it. We're in this series called Small, and um, I, I need to share some things um, about being small. i got to share my, my, you know, I can't say that they're, they're top 10, but these are 10 benefits, okay, of being small. You can insert short, but it's a series called Small. Okay, so it's about the benefits of being small. Okay, uh, work with me on this. All right, number one, um, I never hit my head on anything. Okay, and with I got no protection anymore, John. I got I, I, nothing. It's so if I do if I do ever hit it on something, it's gonna be it's gonna be bad. Um, uh, here's another. This is very real. I always know where to stand. Do you know? Do you always? I'm talking about in pictures now. Okay, in pictures, front row. Okay, I'm always, I'm, I'm the Bob Euchre of pictures. I'm always in the front row. Those of you that are old and watch baseball, you'll know what that is. Um, <clears throat> my feet never, ever hang off the end of the bed. Ever. It's like, it's like impossible. I don't think I, I could, except to make the bed, I can't find, I couldn't find where the end of the bed really is. Um, I, I always have a backup plan. I could always be a jockey. You know, it's just, I could do that, you know. Actually, I'm probably, I'm, I'm too fat for a jockey. Let's just be honest. Um, I never hear, never hear the words down in front. Never. Some people on Sunday morning, when I come by you and you're seated, you're as tall as I am while you're seated, Okay. Bob in the first service. That's Bob. Especially Bob. Um, here's a good one. I could use tall people as shields. Just think about that for just, Terry, I'm coming for you, man. If something breaks out, I am diving, okay, for you. <clears throat> Everybody's like, oh, see how much he cares about. No, I'm just trying to get out of the way. <clears throat> um, here's one that's going to, this is going to bother you. Okay, but um, on an airplane, I got no issues. Okay, you guys are screaming about leg room and I need the aisle and give me the, you know, where the door is, you know, so I can, I, I don't have that issue. Do not have that issue on airplanes. I got all the leg room that I, that I could ever want. Um, <clears throat> this one could go one of two ways, but... Um, I, I chose this way. Somebody else shared another thought uh, after the first service. But um, there's a lot less competition in case I ever want to audition for the musical Wizard of Oz. There's just not a lot of competition. You know what I'm saying? Um, somebody in the first service uh, mentioned Oompa Loompas, so I never thought about uh, you know, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. I could try out for that and have a pretty solid shot of getting in. <clears throat> um, and last but not least, someone says duck, and I just look around. <laughs> I really don't feel that it's necessary for me to actually do anything. 
I just look around, see, I just want to see what's coming for other people. Okay? <laughs> Thank you for laughing. I really do appreciate that very much. <clears throat> so we're in this series called Small, and today I want to talk about being small by comparison. And the four Gospels, they each tell a story uh, that's the same event in Jesus' ministry. They point out a couple of different things, but, uh, but we're going to look at one of those in particular, and it's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So I want to look at John chapter 6. I'll point out what the, the, some of the other uh, gospel writers mention, but primarily I'll stick to John. And chapter 6, starting at verse 9, it says, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter, uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Now, when we read that story in relationship to this, this uh, series of messages that we're doing, and I ask you, what is it that, that, that we read in John there and the other Gospels? What, what is small in this story? What would that be? Just shout it out. What, what is small? Huh? Okay, the, the, the bar, barley loaves and the fish. That's what, the, when we see the word small, the word small is attached to the, the, the bread, the loaves, and the fish. Now, in the Greek, the word small, it means diminutive. Okay? But it's not referring to the size of... Of the bread, because I'm sure that in Palestine, when they cooked barley loaves, these barley loaves were probably the same size as all the other barley loaves that are cooked, right? Doesn't that make sense? The fish that he had in his lunch, was it that they were small fish? If Andy is catching fish, they're not going to be small fish, right, Andy? They're, they're going to be large fish, okay? Going to be some big brookies that are going to go in the kid's lunch. I don't think the fish were diminutive. I don't think the bread was diminutive. I think they were normal for the size of fish that people caught. I think it was normal for the size of the, of the bread that was baked. I think that what... What really the scripture is saying that is in comparison to the need, they were small. That's where the smallness really comes in. What he's really saying is that it's a drop in the bucket because it's small in relation to its ability to be able to help in this situation. There is not enough to matter. Man, that's, that, that is such a powerful statement when we think of our lives, when we think of our relationship with God, when we think of ourselves and, and what we may need and we think it's, it's, it's not even a drop in the bucket. It's just not enough to matter. What the scripture is really saying is that these things, the bread and the fish, they are small in comparison to the size of the crowd. Just to give you a picture 
Scripture talks about 5,000 in each of, of the Gospels, but that's not, that's not how, they, they, they didn't count person, every single person. Um, women were not counted. Children were not counted. So if, if you have uh, uh, someone who is a male who is 12 and above, they got counted. So that's, you're talking about 5,000 males that are 12 and above. And, and when you do a study on group, most scholars believe that we're talking between 15 and 20,000 people are in this group that we're talking about. And this boy's lunch was small in comparison to the need. It wasn't small. It wasn't small because for this kid's lunch, he was fine. It was small in comparison to the need. And so today I want us to talk about this idea of being small compared to the size of the need. You see, we each face this in our lives. When we have a need of some sort and we realize that what we have is actually small compared to what we need. And I want to talk about what we can do in that situation, what we do in that situation, what we tend to do, and ultimately what God desires us to to do and to realize and to be encouraged by it. So number one, I want to point out to you in this story that God already knows how. It's not just that he knows. He knows how. He knows how. Jesus sees this crowd and he asks this question. Notice that he directs this question specifically to Philip. You ever wonder why? I think it's because Jesus knows Philip. You ever ever think about that before? God knows you. God knows you in a very personal way. He knows all there is to know about you. Some of you right now are like, oh, snap, I am in so much trouble. God knows you. God knows Jesus knew Philip. And he's asking this question. Look at at the question. Where should we buy bread? Hmm. Jesus is asking this question, and he's asking it specifically to Uh, to Philip for a a specific reason. And I want you to think about the question, where can we get enough bread? Who is speaking? Do you remember what happened on the third day of creation? Scripture says that, that, and without anything, nothing was made without Jesus, and that on the third day he spoke, and everything that that would grow in the ground and bear fruit and reproduce, He created that day. Jesus is asking this question, and on the third day of creation, he spoke grain into being. And he asked this question. I love that thought. Does he honestly not know the answer? Of course he knows the answer. Isaiah 46.10 says, "I I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times... What is still to come? I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Revelation calls Jesus the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I love the fact that, that uh, uh, Romans talks about uh, God being a God that calls that which is not as though it were. 
I don't, I, you know, it doesn't matter how small the need is or how small the resources that we have in, in comparison to our need. We have to remember that Jesus is the one who created something, who created everything from what? Nothing. Did you get that? In the midst of our need, we see how, how small our resources are. God, I don't have enough. Remember that, that he is the God that created everything from nothing. And he has the ability to speak over our smallness and to make that smallness enough. In fact, to make it more than enough. Jesus knew what he wanted to do. The moment that we find out about this, this problem, this smallness, the, we're in shock. We can't believe it. We struggle to comprehend it. How could this be? God, I thought I made all the plans that were necessary, and now I don't have enough. And we begin to cry out to him the way a three-year-old cries out to his mom and dad, I need more because I don't have enough. There's thousands to feed with just these five loaves of bread and these two fish. God, did you know? Did you know, God, that April 15th is coming and I'm going to owe taxes? God, do you know that? Do you know that, that my wife is dealing with illness? God, do you know that this is my need? God, do you know what this relationship, the condition of it is like? God, do you know, do you know, do you know? And I want you to know he knows. But he knows how. In fact, he has a plan. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God has a plan. Not only does he know our need, but he knows the plan that he already has to meet that need. Now, when we realize that God has a plan, what, what should that do to us? I believe that the peace of God, should, we should sense the peace of God when we realize that, that God, God, has a, God has a plan, he has enough. He's the one that speaks over that which is nothing and it becomes something. He's the one that can meet my need. And even though I don't have enough, I belong to him. And there needs to be a peace that comes over. A scripture talks about the peace of God that passes all understanding, that it will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's why. When we have a need and we realize that God has, he knows not only that need, but knows how he's going to meet it, there can be peace. Secondly, God is asking us to get involved. How do we react when we have something that's small in comparison to what we need? How do we normally react? Well, we get filled with anxiety. We get filled with desperation. We get filled with fear. We have all of these feelings and we just kind of want to say, God, fix it now. So we can turn and walk away and not pay attention to it anymore. The disciples, they were, they were men of faith and power. You know, we read the, the Gospels, we read the New Testament, we're like, man. Imagine what it would be like to be 
one of Jesus' disciples. These guys were amazing, right? What was their answer to the situation? Send them home. (laughs) Just get them out of here. That's the answer. Go home, people. The show's done. Come back tomorrow. You guys go to town. Get something to eat. That was their first answer. Their second answer was, Jesus, this just costs too much. This this, This is every man ever born, okay? This is our answer. It costs too much, okay? It just costs too much. Let's just, come on. It's gonna, there's no way that we can do this. They were absolutely uh, doubtful. They, they didn't believe that there was any way, any way that even if we took, uh, the King James, I think, says eight months salary. Uh, the people, they're just gonna get a bite. There's so many people that, that even if we, if we took, it never says they couldn't pay for it. It says, even if we spent this much money. It doesn't say they didn't have it. It just says if we spent it, you know, nobody would still get anything as a result of it, barely. Um, so they wanted the problem to go away. Anybody ever want a problem to just go away? Wouldn't that be great? Just disappear. Beep, beep. I'm not like doing that to people right now. That's not, I'm not saying you disappear and you just, that's not what I'm saying. But wouldn't it be great if with our problems that we could, but it doesn't work that way. That's not how God does it. That's not, that's not what he's all about. Jesus had another idea. We read it in Matthew 14. In Matthew's account, in the second half of verse 16, he said, you give them something to eat. Uh, hmm. Uh, yeah. I got to give them something to eat? How am I going to do that? Because I don't have enough. I don't have what it's going to take ultimately. So that's what they're, they're starting to scramble now. That's where they came up with the kid with the, the lunch. Because Jesus said, you take care of it. And they're like, okay, guys, what can we find? Here we go. Here's a lunch. That's, that, and they, they actually brought it to Jesus as a solution. Here, here, here's, here's what we do have. Jesus knows that we don't have enough, but he's asking us to do something. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, Peter says this, each of, you has, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. You may not feel like you've been given much, but what you have been given, God says use it to serve other people. Use it to meet the need. You say, but it's not enough. He says, use it. That's what we're supposed to do. Don't think that the problem is going to go away, but you better think and know that God expects you to get involved in the equation. You see, we, we, look, at, uh, we look at the Christian life like, like uh, sports, and, and we, we're just sitting on the bench. And we think the bench is an actual position. And it's not a position in the Christian life. It's the game. That's it. And, and God desires us to realize that we are in the game. And he has called us to get involved. Number three, start with what you have. Philip analyzed the financial shortfall. This is why Jesus picked on Philip. I think, I think Jesus was messing with him. I do. Jesus, is it okay for your Jesus to have a sense of humor? Is that all right? 
Are you sure you're okay with that? Some of us, I'm, I'm not so sure we're okay with Jesus having a sense of humor. But he knew exactly what Philip needed. And he went, he went right at it. I, I, I wonder if Jesus said this. If you really looked at Jesus' face, if you weren't Philip, you might have understood. Oh, I got it. I understand. He's, yeah, mm-hmm, yep. He's getting Philip right now. Philip is analyzing financially. He's analyzing the need. He's doing a cost-benefit analysis, and he comes up with this ingenious statement after he analyzes the situation where they have five loaves and two fish and 20,000 people, and he goes, that's not enough. Any idiot could have come up with that. Anybody know, just from looking at the situation, we would understand that, that there's not enough. Philip was worried about what they didn't have rather than focusing on what they did have. What they didn't have was enough food to feed 20,000. What they did have was the one who created the grain on the third day. Are you seeing what I'm saying? He was focused on what they don't have rather than focusing on what they do have. And how often are we guilty of exactly the same thing? All we focus on is what we don't have. We're not looking at what we actually do have. We're not looking at what God has given us and who God is. We do the cost-benefit analysis and we simply come up with we don't have enough. That word enough in the Greek, it means to be satisfied. This is too small. I'm not, I'm not going to be satisfied. It's not enough. Philip didn't look for resources. Jesus wanted him to look and see what was available. It was small in comparison. How many of us, we have situations that, where, where what we have is small in comparison to what we need? Anybody have anything like that at all in your life? I'm sure, I'm sure probably not. You know, I, I'm probably the only one that's like that. What do we look at? Do we look at what we have or do we look at what we don't have? It's human nature to look at what we don't have. I think when we do that, what we are doing is we are looking at human difficulty and we're ignoring divine sufficiency. We're looking at, humanly, we're looking at, 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 at you know, something that just it can't make it. It's not enough. It's insufficient. And we're ignoring divine sufficiency, God's involvement. We're ignoring it. Mark chapter 6 Verse 38, I love this in Mark's account. He says to the disciples, he said, how many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Jesus is telling his disciples to take inventory. Take inventory. Check it out. I want you to see what you've got to work with. Let's find a place to be able to start. Let me interject here a story from 2 Kings chapter 4. Elisha, that's S-H-A, not Elijah, J-A-H. Elisha has an encounter with a woman who's a widow. And she has two sons. And her creditors are about ready to come. And they are going to take her sons and put them in debtor's prison 
until they can pay off the debt that she owes. More than likely, it was the debt her husband had accrued while he was alive. This doesn't seem very fair. And she comes to the prophet and she asks for help. And let's pick up the story in chapter 4, verse 2. It says, Elisha replied to her, how can I help? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Same question. What do you have? What's at your disposal? Look at what she said. Your servant has nothing there at all. Don't keep reading. Stay right there. Nothing there at all. He asked her to do an inventory and she came up with nothing. And then she has this caveat. She said, well, except, except for a small jar of olive oil. This jar of olive oil was so small, so insignificant in her mind that she equated it to nothing. Nothing. Do you know that sometimes God is going to meet our need? He is going to do something and he's going to use something that right now you consider nothing. You consider it nothing because it's so small and so insignificant. You don't even include it in what you actually have because it's nothing. That's what she was doing, and that's what we do sometimes. The value of it was so insignificant. I I can't even include it that I actually have anything here. But we need to start with what we have because what God has given you, you may, we're, we're considering it nothing and God gave it to us and he wants to use it to meet our need and we're considering it nothing. We are slapping God in the face. That is powerful. We're looking at it as nothing. The same way she looked at that, that jar of oil. We're saying, well, that's, I don't have anything. That's, that's nothing. It, you know, that's so small, so insignificant, it doesn't even matter. God wants her to take uh, inventory. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 I want you to, to, to look at this because, see, I believe that God is willing to partner with us. What we have may be small in comparison, but here's what Paul says in Philippians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably. You've got small and you've got immeasurable. Okay? Those are opposite ends of the spectrum. You can, in fact, small is a place on the spectrum. Immeasurable is not even on. It's, 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 it's that way. Just keep going. Are, are you with me? Okay. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we, more than all we ask or imagine according to, not according to resources, not according to my ability, but according to his power that is at work within us. But I want you to know that God is calling us to get involved. He's calling us to start where we, with what we have, to start where we are. You might not think that it's enough, but God has given it to you and he has declared that he can speak to your smallness 
and he can declare it to be enough, that he can speak to that which is not as though it were. He can literally speak over what you have declared is nothing, and it can be enough. That's the power of God. And number four, multiplication starts when we let go. Now I'm meddling. I realize that. Do you know there would be no story if this young lad had eaten his lunch? If this story contained Kevin Taylor, all right, and the disciples had waited until 1201, there would be no story. Because I believe in lunch at noon. Okay? Ask my staff. I start yelling at 12.01. Do we eat lunch around here or what? Look at John chapter 6, verse 9. We read it before, but here's a boy with five small barley loaves, two small fish, but how will they go how, how uh, far will they go among so many? We don't know if this kid was willing or not. We don't. He, you know, but, but you know, isn't that just like a kid, though? To come up and say, hey, here's my lunch. Go ahead and take it. He doesn't look at the 20,000 people, right? That's, that's the faith of a child that Jesus talks about. But we don't know if this kid was actually, did, did he go along willingly or did they bully him into it? We don't have any idea. The text does not tell us. But I want to believe that that kid just said, yeah, take it. Take it. I'm just going to, I'm just giving it. Even though the need was so outrageous. He was willing to let go of what was his. It was small in comparison to the need But it was enough to meet his need for lunch. He wouldn't have been hungry. It was small in comparison to the need, but he didn't let that discourage him. He said, I'm going to give it anyway. Even though as soon as this lunch leaves my hand and starts getting distributed, I probably will not benefit from it. There's no way. It's numerically not even possible. But he was willing to let go of what would satisfy him in the moment Look at John chapter 6, our our text again at verse 12. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. They went from being worried about not having enough to now having more than enough. Each one got as much as they wanted. 20,000 people, as much as they wanted. Now there's leftovers. I, 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 over the last couple of years, when I was, I was studying this particular passage, and, and what I learned is that the, the word basket, the 12 baskets, they just didn't carry 12 big, huge wicker baskets around with them, okay? But they did carry baskets, they, they carried baskets because that's what they would pack their food for lunch as they traveled. That's the word that the Greek uses for 12 baskets. They were, Philip was worried, well, 
you know, we've got, we've got, you know, a couple of loaves and two fish, but, you know, it's, it's not enough. And, and now they're walking away with food for lunch. Twelve baskets, twelve disciples. God sees. Jesus met the need beyond anything they could ever imagine. But you know what? It's not possible until someone lets go. Someone who has to let go of what they believe is theirs. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to let go of what we say? This is my lunch. Hey, listen, there's 20,000 people out here, and I got a lot of compassion for you all, but I took time to let my mother make me a lunch. Okay? I, I remember to grab it when I left the house. I love all you guys, but I'm not going down for you. I'm going to eat lunch today. Are we willing to let go of what is rightfully ours? Are we willing to let go of how we think it should be done? Man, that's hard. It's tough. Let's go back to our widow in 2 Kings chapter 4. It says, when she left him, shut the door behind her. Okay, let me, let me back up because uh, earlier when I was reading, I skipped a little bit. Uh, from verse 3, Elisha said, go around, ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you, you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. Then in verse 5, she left him, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. All right. If you were this woman and the prophet said, go and I want you to ask, I want you to ask the neighbors for jars. The prophet said, what, what do you have? You valued what you had so little, it's, it, it's nothing. Now we want you to go borrow to borrow jars from all the neighbors. Don't, don't borrow a few. In other words, borrow a lot. Do you think you would have done that? I think, I think we would walk out of there and we go, stupid! That's how I'm going to look when I ask my neighbors for jars because they're going to say, what are you using the jars for? We're going to say, I, look I feel dumb. I feel like an idiot right now. And that's, that pressure is going to cause us to not want to go to the next neighbor. All right, all right, all right, all right. I can go to Mrs. Johnson. She's very nice. She will not judge me. She said I can borrow whatever I want, so I'll ask her. Oh, I'm not going to this guy because he's, oh, that, oh no, no. I can't, I'm going to feel dumb if I go to these people. Do you realize that her going to their houses and asking for those jars is in direct correlation to how much oil she was going to get? Do you realize that? 
that the multiplication starts the moment we begin to let go. For the boy, it was letting go of the lunch. For Philip, it was letting go of how he thought God was going to meet the need. For this woman, it's to let go of that feeling of being stupid for borrowing an empty jar, expecting somehow that, that God is going to fill that jar with oil in order to meet her need. Because she just wanted the need to go away, just like you and I. We just want that need to go away. But that's not what God had intended. I'm sure she was tempted to not ask for very many jars of oil. Do we think that we know how God should meet our needs? Are we willing to let go and to allow God to do it any way that he wants to do it? Because God wants to multiply what we give him. He wants to multiply. We maybe have been saying that it isn't worth anything, that it's nothing, that it's valueless, and it's the very thing he wants to use to meet our need. He wants to multiply it, but in order for that to happen, we've got to be willing to give it to him. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, Paul says this, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I'm going to have the worship team come and they're going to lead us as we close our service today. <clears throat> and I'm going to have you stand, if you would, if you'd stand with me. I'm wondering today if you battle small in comparison. If you're looking at your jar of oil and you're saying, it's, it's so small, I can't even consider it anything. If you look at the size of the crowd, and it's 20,000, and then you look at the, 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 the bread, and you look at the, the fish, and you say, it's, it's nothing in comparison. Maybe in your life, you're struggling with something just like that. I want to just have you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second. And there's something that happens on a Sunday like this. And it's not me that, that, that does it. I, I, can't, I can't do it. But the Holy Spirit speaks to people through the Word of God. And this morning, the Holy Spirit may be tapping him, his, his finger lovingly on a spot in your life that's exemplified by these scriptures. An area of your life where you would say, God, I don't have enough. It's too small in comparison to the need. And the Holy Spirit is saying something to you this morning, reminding you that God knows not just your need, but He knows how to meet your need. That God understands that He's calling you to get involved. That it's time to start with what you have, that God wants to multiply what you have, but you've got to let it go before that can happen. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning this way in a very personal way, I want to just invite you. I, I just, this is between you and God, but if that's you, in, in recognition of what the Holy Spirit is doing right now, I just want you to slip your hand up if that's you. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. You can put your hands down. We're going to sing this song. 
we sang it earlier and it talks about the goodness of God. It talks about God's goodness chasing after us. And as we sing this, I want you, you know what I want you to do? I want you to take the opportunity to let go. Let go of it, whatever it is that you're holding on to that you think is nothing. And God says it's time to let go of it because I'm going to multiply it. I want you to let it go as the team leads us. Father, I pray, Lord, that as we give up, as we let go, Lord, of maybe what we've identified as nothing, as so insignificant that it doesn't even matter as we let that go. Father, I pray over that, that small thing that you can speak to and declare that which is small, that which is nothing as though it were enough. God, I pray that you'll do miraculous things. God, I pray that today, God, that your Holy Spirit will speak to hearts in a profound way that we will let go. God, I pray that the thing at the center of it all that we're going to let go is just us. And God, maybe someone here this morning, you're speaking to them and and you're asking them, will you let go of yourself? Will you let go of your, your own ability to lead your life? Will you let go and let me do it? Will you... Will you let me become your Lord and Savior? Will you stop trusting in yourself, trusting in your own ability to forgive your own sin, to to forgive uh, your sin, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness? Will you let go of that and let me come in? God, I pray that today the answer would just be, yes, God, I let go in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you and we praise you. Thank you for the opportunity to worship together, to hear your word today. God, we pray your blessing on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.